My name is Ed Weisinger, and I've been coming to church. My wife and I have been coming here about three years, right around the time uh, COVID hit. We started, God had us started looking around for a church. And it was a funeral that a friend had passed away um, in a tragic car accident right here in Imperial in May of 2020. Uh, this guy smashed into me coming down the road. And we came here because this church held the funeral for our friend during COVID. And that's really was a big part, along with the teaching. And then we started meeting other friends that we've known from past life. So um, that's why we're here. So God, God definitely had his hand on us, bringing us to the church. Um, I want to relate a story. Um, I'm a baseball fan. And um, there was an umpire back in the 70s, maybe late 60s into the 80s, named Ron Luciano. Anybody a baseball fan remember the name Ron Luciano? Anybody? See the guys with gray hair kind of raise their hands. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Ron Luciano was kind of the original look at me umpire. He was that guy, you can look him up, he's dead and gone now, but you can look him up. He was one of those, he would, you know, do the demonstrative uh, safe sign or punch a guy out and a strikeout. Well, he related a story that when he was in Boston in 1976 and um, the Red Sox were in a tight game against somebody, Carly Yastrzemski, uh, Hall of Famer, Triple Crown winner, came to the plate. Well, Ron was renowned for, he would chat up anybody that was around him or came close to wherever his sphere was on the field. So before Ron Luciano relates the story, before I could say a word, Yaz looked at me as he walked with the plate and said, listen, Ronnie, my kid's hitting 300. My wife is fine. I don't know about any Polish restaurants, and I don't know any new jokes. I'm nothing for 15, and I want you to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> what can I say? On the second pitch, Skrimski hit one over the right field fence. As he crossed home plate, he looked right at me and said, okay, you can talk to me now. <laughs> and any of us in the work world boys, we know what that's like. Right? You just, work, work isn't going right. It's kind of tough, so I, I like that story. Now, I'm not here to bring a sermon. What I'm endeavoring to do tonight is to stimulate all of us to love and good deeds. That we continue to think more and more with the mind of Christ about this area that we're going to be tackling tonight, suffering for the gospel. Now, we see it. We've seen it, especially those last three and a half years. It's been kind of a slow rumble for a long time. But... The world is changing and how suffering will become more and more and more a part of what it means to be a Christian in America and specifically California. So I'm kind of working title for tonight is the title Normalizing Suffering. Normalizing Suffering. Now, Ed, what do, you, what do you mean by that? So when I first started reading this chapter in preparation for tonight, Before me in this spot, it's like, man, oh, man, this is this what's this chapter's kind of depressing. No, this is kind of rough, very disturbing. And um, I stopped reading because I was thinking the same thing as I was reading the first five or six pages. Uh, decided to do something more lighthearted, like you know, watching Jaws or something you know uplifting in a movie like that. But no, after a period.
free of time, I picked up the book again, of course, because, you know, I had to come here and help you guys out tonight. So uh, I, I, I read some more. And as I finished the chapter, I could see that this book and this chapter has a real way of revolutionizing the way we look at suffering in the Christian life. Um, if you have the book with you, if you don't, if you don't have a copy of it, that's fine. Just please give us all no reason to hide. So again, we're kind of done with it, but hey, this is this is a fairly new book. I would say this guy wrote this book, if anybody knows exactly, maybe in the last two years. So it's a fairly recent book. So if you have your books with you, that's great. I'll be kind of flipping through it from time to time. On page 262, Erwin Lutzer writes this. As Americans, we always thought that if we presented the gospel in word only, we could expect to be protected, tolerated, and otherwise respected, even if our views were rejected. Free discussion and interaction was to be assumed. The Constitution that guaranteed our freedoms was to be honored. No longer. When I flip down a few more lines in that last full paragraph on 262, the church has always been opposed by the world. For us as Americans, the growing anti-Christian bias is new. For most of the world, the heavy hand of government and religious persecution has been the norm. Just ask Christians in China, North Korea, Cuba that I visited 33 years ago, and much of the Middle East. There were a few questions that I really appreciated, and I'm trying to find my note here. Oh, there they are. Go to 264. Two questions I really like. What would we expect as our culture collapses under the immense weight of unbridled secularism and repackaged Marxist ideology? Why should we be surprised that our Christian convictions are often held up to ridicule? Indeed, that is so great. That is so true. Commentator Matt Walsh, you can see him on, he's on Facebook, he's on my feed all the time, um, said this after, said this in, 20, I think there were, this event happened in 2017. After 29 Coptic Egyptian Christians were slaughtered by Islamic terrorists, he said this, how many of us are willing to give continued on page 265 we have to get over our fear of being hated and hunted and I'm speaking to you as one who is fearful I don't want to be hunted I want to be liked I want to kind of get along with people I'm around I mean we're, we're built that way I could spend more time on this kind of the sad part <laughs> of, of the book um, if again I want to reemphasize if you haven't read this book please pick it up um, we may even have, I don't know if there, we have extra copies, Francel, in the, in the resource center. We still have a few. Um, but I want to get to the antidote tonight, which is scripture. Our beautiful, soul-straightening, life-readjusting word of God, which keeps me and us in step with the Holy Spirit and his church, not of the spirit of the word. Amen? 
Isn't it good news that I don't have to have all the answers? Isn't it good news that, you know, I don't have to answer every question that I'm connected with the one who does have all of life covered into eternity? I want to take a pause here before we get to that antidote. Um, there's a book on persecution called Fox's Book of Martyrs. I have a copy. My house is kind of under <laughs> chaos right now so I couldn't find it. But it's a little paperback. You can probably find it on Amazon. Um, it's about persecution and the, the church from 2,000 years ago forward. So Fox's Book of Martyrs, I highly recommend it. Get it in paperback. Now, when we think about suffering, let's look at suffering and start thinking. Um, go to Matthew 10. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip to Matthew 10. Uh, when we think about suffering, let's look at suffering um, the way that some of us in the room have experienced it. Maybe estrangement, rejection, and mockery from our own families. It's also, um, you can find this on page 268 if you don't have your Bible. So page 268, I'll read this excerpt from Matthew 10, 34 through 38. Jesus speaking here. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And I think the point Jesus is making here is sometimes families will be divided because of our faithfulness to the gospel. And on this side of heaven, we have to pay the price for that. Um, I've experienced in my own family dividedness. Um, maybe you have as well. Sometimes it can be religious or cultural differences. But, you know, ask yourself, how are you doing in that area? And who's helping you hold the line for Christ? Now, when we talk about division, I want to give a gentle reminder. Um, make certain that you're not dividing with family or friends or even coworkers. Make sure you're dividing over Christ with family, friends, or coworkers, not over your own abrasive attitudes or your own hurt feelings or secondary issues that have no bearing on the gospel. Now back to the topic of normalizing suffering. Um, we think of suffering, we're, Americans were not great at it. We don't have a lot of experience of suffering. You look at other cultures around the world there. <laughs> I lived in Russia for 13 months a long time ago. They're, they're good at suffering. <laughs> I mean, they've been through, they've been through. We're not great at it, okay. Um, so when I talk about suffering, I'm not talking about long, maudlin faces, moaning like Eeyore, with Eeyore-like attitudes, like, I'm a Christian. It really stinks, you know, that I'm going to be persecuted. Oh, well. No, we're not talking about that. I, I have more of the idea of, of being matter-of-fact about it. So we're not exactly upbeat about it, but definitely not down in the, mo not down in the mouth. They're just kind of more stable. And then I, when I was 
thinking about this, I thought, now wait a minute, Ed. So are you suggesting just have kind of a matter of fact, accepting attitude about suffering? What does the word have to say about this? In Acts 9, when Saul, who was to become Paul in this moment, um, he's walking down this road and he's hit with the biggest question of his life and maybe anyone's ever been asked, when Jesus confronted Paul, Saul, how did Jesus see persecution of the church? And these immortal words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus took what his church was going through personally. He took their suffering personally because he knew they were doing it for him. The, it, this comes from Lutzer. The invisible realm, what I can't see, but is real, the spiritual world, Despite what all, my, all our senses tell us, this, the invisible realm is so much more important than the visible realm. Go to 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. These may be my first, or my favorite verses. These may be my favorite verses on this whole subject. It's 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Peter writes, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. I, I love that. As though something strange were, people in China, North Korea, that are following Christ, they go, thank you, Peter, we need this. We're not there yet, right? My kids may not have to go through there. The grandkids, right? We don't know. We don't know. This, the thundering hoofbeats of the world system is coming at us. It's all around us. You just pick up, go to the internet, check out any news, talk amongst yourselves. We know the thundering hoofbeat. We don't know when. That, I just have that. At, we don't know when. But Peter is saying here, as though... I don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. He continues in 13, but rejoice. Hey, Ed, don't have that. Well, you know, just have to put up with it, you know. He says, no, rejoice that you, are participate, that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Like, I'm talking overjoyed. I love my sports teams. I'm a Lions fan. I know you Rams fans think I'm absolutely crazy. It's like, who cheers the Lions? I was raised there. I was raised in Michigan. We're going to be good this year, by the way. This is finally going to be the first year in 33 that we're going to be. Yeah, okay, we'll see what happens. But I think about how excited I can get about my football team. But this is like, this is like true joy. This is like that rejoicing like over the top. Like we can't wait to suffer. Wow. But it's because we're looking forward to, not because of this, not because of what we see here, but it's what we're looking forward to. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that's, those are easy words for Peter. Um, as Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friend, go to Acts 4 and 5, and we can see that Peter, in a, young, a younger version of Peter, lived out his words. So 
in chapters 2 and 3, we're going to talk specifically about 4 and 5, but in, in 2 and 3, that's the birth of the church. It was shortly after the ascension, the death, resurrection, ascension of Christ, and that's 2 and 3. So if you're kind of familiar with it, that's great, but if it's kind of new to you, read that tonight too. So 2 and 3 is Peter and John are putting themselves out there, and they're preaching and healing, and people are coming to faith, and it's an exciting time. Chapter 4, the suffering hits. The priests and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. This probably won't happen to one of us, any of us, but it might. But it hasn't yet. They, being the leaders, Jewish leaders, they seized Peter and John, and, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. You can see it again and again throughout the New Testament. Suffering and, and evangelism and people coming to faith, it's a marriage. They, they're, they're, they're Peter and Paul. They're, they're together. They, they never, they're always together. Suffering and evangelism and people, suffering and people coming to faith are a marriage. And yet, Peter and John have absolutely no fear. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today because of an act of kindness toward the cripple that they healed, he had been, couldn't walk for 40, 40 years, and are asked how he is healed, then know this, you and everyone else in Israel, it is the same Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you completely healed. For he, Jesus, is the stone who builders rejected, which has become the capstone. This is the key, guys. Make sure people stumble over Christ. Peter didn't make this about anything cultural. He didn't make this about, you're treating me bad. He didn't take, he wasn't taking anything offensive that they were doing to him. He made Jesus the focal point. There's more to say here, but I'll move, I'll move ahead to verse 31 of this chapter. Um, Peter and John are released, and then they went back to their friends. And after they, play, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Imagine this place here is going, Brrr. and you talk to a friend later and said, did you feel that earthquake the other night? Yeah, it was Wednesday night. Yeah, the 20th? I'm oh, sorry, man. I didn't hear an earthquake. There was no earthquake. That the place you were in was shaken by the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Move to chapter 5, verse 12. It continues for these guys. Peter and, Jane, uh, Peter and John keep healing and preaching. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. So this is in the temple area in Jerusalem. No one dared join them because of what had happened in Ananias and Sapphira. You can read that earlier in chapter five. It's a sad story, but 
God's real, and he's, he's, <laughs> he expects holiness and honesty from us. Nevertheless, verse 14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick from the streets and laid them in beds and mats so that Peter's shadow could fall on them as they passed. Skipping to 17, remember, people coming to faith and suffering hand in hand. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested, hey, same story, right? They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. This is not chapter 4, this is chapter 5. It's just the same story, right? But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And as if God was speaking to them directly himself, the angel said, Go, stand in the temple courts, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple. They didn't sleep in until 11. <laughs> Imagine an angel speaks to you. It's like, you can't wait for daylight, right? You're at daybreak. They're, they're up and going. It's like, hey, John, come on. Hey, you know, yeah, it's a little dark. Yeah, come on. In fact, John was probably up before Peter this time. Well, he beat him to the tomb, so who knows? It, at daybreak, at daybreak, they knew they were suffering. They didn't care. They didn't care. They knew what God was asking them to do. They entered the temple courts, I say again, as they had been told by the angel, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. These guys are scratching their head going, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found nobody inside. They're going, what in the world? On hearing the report, the captain of the guard and the chief priests were puzzled. Then they went and said, they're not here. They're in the, they're in the temple courts. How'd they get there? Just a great story. Uh, 29, we must obey God rather than men. And the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. And... I love 41 because it, again, Paul is pre, or Peter is preaching, <clears throat> excuse me, Peter is preaching, they're suffering, but people are coming to faith. 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus as Jesus as the Christ. So what is the result of suffering? Go to 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. You're like thinking, Okay, great story. How does this apply? What can I do with this? And that's my challenge for us tonight is when we walk out of here, what are we going to do with what we heard? 1 Peter 5, 10, and 11. And the God of all grace, again, this is older Peter, right? So we just, older Peter, younger Peter, now back to older Peter. 
and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, one, two, make you strong, and strong, firm, and steadfast. So having read these verses countless times since I was a little kid, and now on this new brink of suffering, um, I think I and we need to be more earnest in thinking and meditating on the benefits of this verse. We are so used to thinking about the benefits of just an everyday life. Your job, where you're going on vacation next, how your kids are doing, how your grandkids are doing, uh, what am I having for dinner tonight? Uh, these are just things we naturally think about. And yes, those are good things to think about. And we do talk about heaven to some degree. But I really do think spending lots of time thinking about where we're going is going to be major, a major help to us from this point forward. I admit that I haven't been one of those. When I think about suffering for Christ, it's so easy to just think about what we're going to be losing if the culture, as the culture continues to change. This can lead to depression, sadness, uh, a downcast spirit, and hopelessness. But if we focus on heaven, spiritual matters, verses that we covered tonight, we can have a heavenly-minded goal, and that will really be the anecdote that we need. Um, in first, in uh, James 1, 22 through 25, James writes this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, looks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the word, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Too often, I think, as an adult believer here in Michigan and in California, um, I think... I hope this isn't too strong of a term but I've observed a laissez-faire attitude to belief in Christ. For me, this chapter is like, wake up. Wake up. Strengthen your walk with God now. Um, the pastor, John Piper, preached this. This is a long time ago, 20 years ago. And I remember him using an analogy in a sermon he preached that Many evangelicals use prayer, use prayer as an opportunity to, as like an intercom to call up for more pillows and room service rather than use it as a walkie-talkie to use it in a battle for souls that's raging all around us. Um, there was a lady that came to this church where my wife and I were friends with, she and her husband, Tony Muse. And um, Tony died of cancer 
um, just a couple weeks ago. Well, I'd been looking for better work, and she knew that because we were friends, couples and stuff. And um, so she started training me for the job. And on August 2, less than a month before she passed, uh, she went into the office. It's a small doctor's office. We have about six, seven employees. And three young ladies under 35 definitely don't know the Lord, you know. Um, and Tony had one reason she wanted to go back. She wasn't, good. She wasn't doing well. I mean, anytime I'd hit a bump, she'd be like, ooh. <laughs> like, it really hurt to even ride in a car. But she wanted to go back and talk to them one more time. And she took a good full 10 minutes just to talk to each one of them individually and share her faith one more time what it meant to walk with Jesus. And now I get to live that out in front of them as best I can, right? None of us are perfect guys. But it's like we need to look at family and neighbors, coworkers. Be in the word and let him give you opportunity. Opportunities are there. A lot of times when I said, well, I haven't had a chance to share my faith with anybody recently. Um, are you walking with Jesus? Are you paying attention to him? Are you waiting? Are you listening to him so you, you know those opportunities are there? Because they're there. But am I ready? Are we ready? So in summation, we have plenty, we have plenty of time in the word. Respond to it in obedience. And Ask a close friend or two. Check with a close friend or two how you're doing in this area. You know, be, I don't, accountability kind of makes you kind of go, yes, sir, no, sir. Accountability is a, a, maybe an old-fashioned term, but just ask a friend, hey, would you check up on me in this area that I'm in the Word and I'm really understanding more and more what it means to suffer for Christ and getting ready for the tide, the wave that's coming, because God loves us and he's got a great heaven for us in the future. Thanks. Father, thanks for tonight. We just appreciate um, your love for us and that we can be here. In your name we pray. Amen. I think we'll go to tables. And um, thanks for being here, guys.
Welcome to our uh, roundtable discussion here at Calvary La Habra tonight, uh, discussing uh, Chapter 11 of Erwin Lutzer's uh, No Place to Hide. Uh, my name is Ed Leisinger, along with Rainy Dickinson and John Bush. So um, we'll kind of get started here. If you happen to have your book with you or just want to follow along uh, with Scripture, um, looking at page uh, 266, of the book, uh, No Reason to Hide. I'll give you a minute to find that. Page 266. We read, I've been forced to realize that my view of suffering, this is the author, Urban Lutzer, I've been forced to realize that my view of suffering has been shaped more by, American, by my American experience than the scriptures. What has your personal experience been uh, Randy, if you want to lead off with this one, what has been your personal what has your personal experience been, and where do you see room for growth in your understanding of suffering? Well, much like Urban Lutzer, I would say that in in my life, I don't know that I've suffered. Um, sometimes we interchangeably use the word suffering and persecution. And clearly in America today, it's very difficult to say for most people living in Southern California and Orange County that we are suffering persecution. You know, it's often a joke that say when something goes awry a little bit, you say, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus today. It's cloudy out. And um, it's a growing fit. It's a little bit of truth there that we really have a very comfortable lifestyle. Um, what's also interesting to me is there is an element in the human nature where the world suffers too. There's been, through history, countless numbers of despots and evil men that have persecuted people. And they weren't Christians, they were just persecuted. They lived in a country at the wrong time with the wrong leader. So the world is, is the idea of suffering and persecution isn't foreign to the world either. So the question then really becomes is, well, if you're going to suffer, whether it's living under a Hitler or a Pol Pot in Cambodia or different places, what should you suffer for? What, what makes suffering good? So when you ask me, Randy, have you suffered? There's a question kind of behind the question that, well, Randy, have you done anything that really stands out? Um, and I'm, I'm thinking, no, I haven't really... You know, with yeah, there's little things. I was a tall kid growing up like you, lanky, and um, I got called. You know, I had to run around the shower to get wet. Um, girls wouldn't go out, wouldn't talk to me. That was suffering when you're in fifth grade. <laughs> right. 
And that's, you know, but in terms of suffering for Jesus, I haven't been out of the country. So I don't know what it's like to feel the wrath of a government. Um, we're beginning to see that in this country. As a whole, we're being called out for being faithful in a nation that wants to be anti-faithful. But that hasn't really hit Randy yet in the heart. Yeah. You know what I mean by yeah, that? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, did you want to share on that one, John, or maybe the next question? You know, it's it's interesting. The uh, you know, as, as Randy said, you know, the idea of suffering, and you know, the I look back to um, what it was that first brought me to my knees before the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, as I was uh, as I was in my uh, early twenties, I was you know going through some things that um, brought me to an emotional end of myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, at the time that uh, I knew, I knew of the Lord, but it was that suffering, that, um, I don't know, uncomfortableness yeah. at the time yeah. that uh, drove me to my knees before the Lord. And really, uh, it, it really, that suffering, what it taught me was that the pain that, that I was in <laughs> needed to be dealt with mm. and the pain of letting go what I thought I was good was less painful than letting go of everything and just falling on my face before the Lord. But, you know, it was interesting. I, I always, uh, how the Lord, uh, his, his sense of humor in my life. So many times the Lord is, you know, the very first time I uh, came around the church here, uh, you know, about a week or two I was around and just, just getting my feet wet in the Lord and just getting to know people. And I'll never forget the, uh, Pastor Lance said, okay, we're going to have a a men's lunch study. You know, for those men that can get away from lunch, we're going to have a Bible study. And and I said, that'd be great. I I can do that. And so I I showed up, and we're going to go through the book of James. You know, and I thought, okay, I didn't know that much about the book of James at the time, you know. And then we sat down, and the very first thing our pastor Lance shared was, my brethren, count it all joy when you are into various when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And of course, it's the first verses in uh, James, um, chapter one. And you know we look and we kind of smile at that, but all of that, all that I heard was count it all joy. <laughs> when you find, and I'm saying I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I looked at that. I go, you're got to be kidding. I'm 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 trying to get away from my suffering. But you know, it was it was great because I, I really believe that was the the beginning exclamation point um, of of my walk with the Lord, and and my introduction to to walk with them. I mean, the the, the word is, is so full of scriptures with regards to. But I think, like Randy said, and as as even was was brought out in this book. You know, we living in America, what level of suffering have we really sure. experienced is, is, is really a, it's, it's almost, <laughs> it's almost embarrassing. Right. Not that I'm asking, Lord, but. <laughs> but suffering is part of our human condition, isn't it? And, and even at varying degrees of it. What, um, he, he doesn't go through this in the book a lot, but I think uh, he, he does quote a lot of scriptures from First Peter. And Peter obviously is trying to comfort the Christians of the day. And you say, well, what was he trying to comfort them from? And 
so after the crucifixion of Jesus, Rome is the, the powerful um, dynasty in the world at the time. And Rome was beginning to, well, there was some uprisings in the, this is in Judea, and there's some uprising, and, and various factions were rising up against Rome, and there was some battles going on, and Rome just wasn't going to stand for it. And Nero hated the Christians. Um, he would, and you hear stories about how they cut their heads off, put them on poles, light them on fire as lanterns um, for the city. You hear about the lions, the Colosseums. A lot of Christians were being persecuted. And then Nero dies in 68, and that's when, between 64 and 68, is when Peter wrote his letters. So the church is suffering, and this guy dies. And then they kind of rise up, and then Titus, the general, comes through, and they siege Jerusalem. And then they go in, and hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed. And so when he's writing these letters and you talk about persecutions and suffering, that's the backdrop. It wasn't, you know, we, we, we're struggling to find areas in our life where we suffer or persecute or are persecuted, but it's nothing compared to what he was addressing at a time. And then for the first hundred years, there were people, they would literally leave Jerusalem and they would head north and they, would, they were building underground, almost like cities, seven stories deep and hiding out wow. it was serious business we think of like in end times in revelation what it's going to be like for those that are upon the earth and how they're they are going to be fleeing because if they don't take the mark the persecution that follows it's that's what they were experiencing back in those days if they didn't line up with the romans it was off with your head and uh not in the scriptures itself but that's when peter went up against Nero, it was at that time in 68, basically, and he said, hey, I'm not even worried to be persecuted or crucified right side up, so do it upside down. So Peter knew what he was talking about when he talked about persecution and suffering, but it wasn't like what we think of today, right. far more disastrous. Far more. And yet he said, rejoice in this. Yes. So it's even compounded by the, the, the contrast between living a life versus not just pain, but suffering, suffering, real suffering, real suffering. The scripture, after you have suffered a little while. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, but he's comparing it to eternity. Yeah. Well, think in Revelation where it says when the plagues come, it says you're going to wish you were dead and you're going to try to kill yourself and you won't be able to. That's the kind of suffering that God's familiar with, the suffering yeah. like that. And that's yes. what he talks about here in the word to us. Right. That's good stuff. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. In Matthew 10, 34 to 38, I'm going to read that scripture here in a second. Jesus made the point that even families will be divided because of faithfulness to the gospel. So how have you personally experienced this and seen it happen in someone else's family? So Matthew 10 scriptures go like this. Jesus speaking here. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So how have you personally experienced this and or seen it happen in somebody else's family? Well, again, I think um, personally, I haven't. I think when I got saved, I remember going home and telling my dad, who wasn't a believer at the time, and said, Dad, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. <laughs> That's so, a nice intro. <laughs> and he didn't talk to me for a week. Wow. And I remember thinking, this is what that scripture was talking about. <laughs> Not, and I think we're going to discuss that in terms of uh, what suffering is. But I, I think there's an element here where we see in this subject matter the contrast between human understanding and, and God's hierarchy of, of thought. You know, man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart. We think this is suffering, God says, no, this is what suffering is. Um, in, in the Beatitudes it says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I'm, that combination of things that go, how can that be? Right. So I think there's this understanding where it's God's economy versus our economy. And again, we brush up against it and realize we don't measure up, not just in our sinfulness, but our understanding of God's ways. And suffering and persecution is one of those. Um, but in my family, I think most of the suffering or persecution, if I can use that word, is was self-induced. <laughs> my bad attitudes, my self-righteousness, right. my living a life that didn't match the words, mm, and they call me out on it, sure. and then I'd push back. Sure. You're just judging me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Makes sense. Any thoughts, John? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about that, that portion of Scripture is that, you know, it, as, as Randy pointed out, it we, <laughs> I... I've been blessed. I was brought in up a, in a Christian household. And, you know, but with regards to other families, it's interesting because if we just jump back a few verses and go back to um, verse 19 here in the same chapter, you know, a, a lot what I've had the opportunity to encourage people that have found themselves in that situation and not knowing what to say. If you look at uh, Matthew 10, 19, it says, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For if it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. You know, I think one of the important things to understand is when we find ourselves within that. Um, I've often seen people pull back and not want to engage, not want to share, not want to discuss. And, I, and in those cases, I, I've had the opportunity to encourage and it's just, it's the most wonderful thing because one of the things that I've learned to pray within those situations as well isn't necessarily, Lord, do this, Lord, do that. It's, Lord, make yourself real within this situation. Yeah. And it's just been the, the rewarding part of that is then when those people come back and say, hey, it's not, wow, you prayed and it is, wow, this is what the Lord did. And, and, you know, how he made himself real, you know, how he answered that prayer. So I, I appreciate that portion. But, you know, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we, we spoke a lot about Paul in, in this. And I've always appreciated, you know, when he was uh, in, in the book of Timothy, when he just gives just these pearls of wisdom, continual 
pearls of wisdom that he's given to Timothy through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And one of the things that um, we, I, I should say, have a tendency to do is want to make my point, right? I'm going to study, I'm going to make my point. You know, but one of the things that Paul encouraged Timothy was, Timothy, and this was in um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, you know, um, 23. It says, but avoid all foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. It goes on to serve. The servant of the Lord must be able to teach in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. And I think having that mindset of, of humility, humbleness, realizing my own shortcomings, and I think oftentimes we expect, like like Randy had said, he got home and did, Dad, you, you're, you know, this, that, or the other, you're going to hell, right? And And a lot of times that isn't the Lord's heart. That, that's not, and, and I think that I appreciate that, how, how he, he broke that down very simply for, uh, so it's just understanding that what it is that's going to do that make the difference. That's interesting you make that comment, John, because one of the coming questions was, what would be examples of division that were about us? And I think Randy gave one example and John, another, about Paul just challenging Timothy to keep the main thing the main thing. Mm -hmm. So Lutzer in the book talked about, let's not divide over response to COVID or use of masks or even political differences, but let's really get Christ in front of people. He's the reason we're here. He's the reason we live, and he's the reason we're going to heaven. Not any of these other distracted. The rest, everything else is distraction. Well, it's interesting. Everything else is distraction. When, even when Paul came to the church of Corinth, even Paul with all of his knowledge, all of his, you know, his pedigree, so to speak, right? He, when he came to him, he, he came to him. When I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech, mm -hmm. right? I came to you knowing, basically, ultimately, what he says, I came to you knowing nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified, that your confidence not be in, in man, but in the power of the Spirit. And even in those times when we find ourselves, whether we're being persecuted or, or, or we feel like we're, you know, have to stand up for ourselves, ultimately, who is it that, you know, you use the example of the, the, uh, the, the, the referee that wanted to, you know, or the umpire that wanted to make sure everybody saw him. Is it us that we want him to see or is it Christ in us? Exactly. You know, one thing when I'm... He didn't, maybe he did talk about this here. When I think of persecution and you think of avoiding it, it's not the persecution or the suffering that I fear. And if I'm really honest, it's the thought of pain. And you don't have to, I mean, why do people not go to the dental office today? They don't <laughs> like the pain. Why do kids not want to get shots? They think of the pain. So there is an element of shying away from certain things because of the pain of it. And there, were, there are people that we honor today and revere. We think of um, Corey Ten Boom in The Hiding Place and how she stood and stood up and it wasn't, had nothing to do with pain. So, but what she did was stand up and, and really put herself at risk, not knowing what that would be for the sake of, of those Jews. So when I think of now suffering, if I take the pain off it, would I be willing to stand up for that which is right? And you can pick a number of things. And not to win the argument, 
like if I say I want to go march in a right for life march, and then when I get there, I'm going to get into an argument with the person on the other side. That's, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I agree. It's it's we're we're right in our cause, but how we do it that wouldn't. Well, you could say, well, I suffered for Jesus today. I marched on the lines and I took these verbal assaults. Yeah. I, I'm not thinking that's what Jesus had in mind here. I, yeah. I think there's this element of us standing up for that which is right and then standing up in a way that is righteous. And you put the two things together, then if you're willing to do that, God says, there's going to be times when it's going to cost you. Be ready for that. It's going to cost you. If you stand up against that which is evil and you stand up in a way that's right, like not saying a reviling word, that will cost you. Well said. Uh, looking at 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, 10, and 11. So if you want to flip your Bibles to that passage, 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11. How can we benefit from suffering? How can we benefit from suffering? Reading verses 10 and 11. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So how can we benefit from suffering? Well, I'm going to address the lion in the room here, or the elephant in the room is, I read that and it says, after you've suffered a while, and I'm going, but what happens in today's world, and people go through great pains, and you think of certain family relationships that could be abusive, and you look at children today and around the world and the abused children, and you go, well, how does this, how do, how do you apply the scriptures now? That's a tough one. It is. You know, after you've suffered a while, you'll perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And I'm going, oh, that's hard, Lord, because, and this goes back to what I said earlier, the, the, the contrast between how God views things and what we go through here for his purposes versus how we consider going through something for his purposes. You know, if you're going to put me in suffer for a while means... 15 minutes? <laughs> Maybe 14. <laughs> you know, and God's thinking, and again, that idea that God is outside or transcends time, he sees the beginning from the end, and perhaps when God sees the trial, he's seeing, but I'm seeing you in a right robe and eternal weight of glory. He goes, that's what I'm seeing here. So, yeah, it's for a while, but this is what lies ahead for you. And trying to get our minds or our heads wrapped around God's perspective of what we're going through rather than just our getting building up our fortitude so we can get through it. Right. And and that's right. that's different. Getting through it versus seeing it as God sees it. Right. That's what amazed me about chapters four and five of Acts. Um, speaking on it earlier, and just how Peter and John rejoicing after getting whipped, yeah. flogged having chunks of their, okay, yeah, you get the idea. I mean, they just went through it physically, pain you referred to. Where, how would I respond to that, right? That goes through my head. And they were rejoicing. And the house they were in shook. I mean, things were happening. People were coming to faith. 
and it was all related to suffering. You know, the, uh, if, if, with regards to that, I think one of the most important parts about that scripture is what's right before it. Because oftentimes, you know, we can focus on a scripture, but, you know, we're encouraged, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, the most important part of battle or overcoming or, or being able to uh, be strengthened and settled is really understanding where that attack is coming. And because truly we find myself, I'm always the guy, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to fix it. But then we're told in Ephesians 6 that we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness that we don't understand. We, but, you know, God does. And, and the beauty of this is it is those, mo those times of suffering that drives us to find an answer because <laughs> we don't even want those 14 minutes, 13 yeah, minutes, yeah, 10, yeah. whatever it is. Right. That we, so, so it really it, it brings us to the point of seeking and desiring more and, and being able to, to grow more. But, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is the benefit from suffering. You know, you mentioned um, in, during your, the previous study, you know, Tony Muse. And one of the things that um, I remember about my mom, she reminded me so much of my mom, um, as my mom's struggle with cancer, okay? And I remember early on, my mom told me, yeah, everybody's asking, you know, asking me to pray, and I'm, I'm asking her to, if they can pray for her. And she goes, yeah, but can I pray for you? And she goes, and I think they, I think they think I'm phony. I think they're just trying, they think I'm trying to be over, you know, spiritualized. She says, but I really, I've realized, this is what my mom said, and I know that Tony saw it too, from what you shared, what she yeah. did. Yeah. In the midst of our suffering, people are watching. Yes. In yes. the midst of our suffering, and the best way I can explain it to my mom is you are right. God has chosen to use your life as a platform right. to reach the world around you. That's right. And, and, and really, the, the, you know, we, <laughs> it's funny because even the question, how, how does it benefit us? Honestly, you know, you look at uh, those of you that get a moment, read, um, read uh, Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is all about God pulling me out of a miry pit, right? But I'm not the one that benefited. At the end, many will see it and come to him. That's right. Ultimately, it's our suffering is actually a wonderful opportunity to be used to evangelize the world around us. As, as hard as that sounds, it gets people's attention when we're suffering. Exactly. Great point, John. I'm going to flip to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter, as I like to call it, many people before me. And we read about some heroes of faith, many of the heroes of faith. Um, there's quite a switch in verse 35. Um, and because 32 through 34 talk about what Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, many did. But then there's a switch at verse 35. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection, the resurrection till eternal life. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. 
They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, referring to here. God planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Just keep reading. Realize there was no chapter divisions. (laughs) So what does he say right after that announcement? Therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I think a lot of times we, I've heard it preached and they talk about this great cloud of witnesses and they always point back to the heroes of the faith. And you wonder, well, maybe who was talking about these guys? <laughs> yes. Therefore, since this is what's going on, right. let us lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us and let us run the race that's set before us. Yeah. Um, what, an, what an exhortation of perspective. And, you know, I was... I was thinking as you were reading that, and I was going, well, how in the world can we do that? And there's a, a scripture in Ezekiel, and I'm not going to quote it because I don't know that I can accurately. <laughs> but there's that, it's in chapter 36, and he talks about, you know, I'm, I'm going to pour out my spirit, but I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to take away that stony heart that you've got. And then, and it hit me, it says, when man looks at the outside and God looks at the heart, and when he looked at David and he saw a man after God's own heart, and perhaps even on these people here in Hebrews, and then you think of the believer today, how could I possibly live a life like that? Well, you can't on your own. But then you recognize that when we were saved and redeemed, we were given a new nature, in essence, a new heart. And then when God sees and he responds and he restores the that heart you go wait a minute this is very consistent with how God's always been to his people and so the idea of enduring persecution Mm. I don't think he ever said I'm you're going to do this on your own sorry guys (laughs) you're on your own here that's why I think Peter and John then they could they could rise up and and Paul and Barnabas and you know rejoice in singing in the Philippian jailers Mm. I, I think there's a point where a new heart enables God to do things with us that the natural man without Jesus can't do There is no hope to suffer with rejoicing without that new heart or newness in life in Christ. We just can't do it. You know, one one of the most difficult verses to read in and of itself, for me at least, is uh, Romans 12, 1, that we're to offer our bodies a living Mm -hmm. sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is our reasonable service. I like the reasonable service because I understand. He did a lot for me, you know. The, The part of living sacrifice, I mean, that's really... That all of the things that we talked about not wanting to suffer, mm-hmm. that's laying all of that aside and accepting that as just the norm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's one of the things that, and, and I, I, you know, often that you struggle with that. But the beauty of that is, again, right away, 12.2, mm-hmm. he tells us, do not be conformed to this world, yeah. but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and, and really what that says is, look, I know you're worried about all this, 
but just set that aside. You, you have to, you know, be more focused. And I think that's one of the things that Luther did a great job. He said, of focusing back on the eternity aspects yeah. of our walk exactly. versus the, the temporal, the that's time right. now. Right. And, and, and understanding that, that, you know, we do have the word, we do have the Lord, we do have the spirit. Jesus was very clear. It's good that I go, because if I go, I'm going to leave the spirit. I can send the spirit, because you're not going to make it without him. <laughs> Great point. Well, John and Randy, I want to thank you guys for uh, joining us here tonight. And uh, oh, everyone, I'm sorry. We, uh, we oh, have we come. Five minutes. <laughs> we have Let's come push it to, to the end. <laughs> We have come, come to on, the end. Ed, push it to the end. <laughs> We've come to the end of our time and I wanna just thank you for joining us.